So I have a, a lot of uh, nice places to bike around here. And one of my favorite bike routes or bike rides includes a long climb up into a neighborhood here in the Santa Monica Mountains. It's a long sort of gradual climb that is a dead end, so there's not a whole lot of traffic. But toward the end of the climb, at the steepest part of the climb, you know, you know where it is? <laughs> you, might, you might know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a house. Uh, and in front of that house, on the steepest part of this climb, for a while, there was a seven or eight-year-old kid who was outside in front of his house yelling at cyclists, do you want to buy some lemonade? <laughs> like almost every time I went out, this is what was going on. And truth be told, lemonade always sounds good, especially on those really hot days when you've been cycling for a while. Unfortunately, this started happening like right at the beginning of COVID. So like as much as I want to support kids and all of their lemonade stands, like at that point, I wasn't going to take lemonade from Dr. Fauci, right? <laughs> like, I don't trust anybody. So for like a year, every time I rode up by, uh, by this house, the kid was there and, and I'd have to say, no, thank you. So no, thank you. No, thank you. Every, every time. But then one, one day, for some reason, instead of just saying, no, thank you, I said, sorry, I don't have any cash. <laughs> and I don't know why, like, that particular day, I felt like I needed to offer an excuse for, for why I didn't want the lemonade. But as I rode past him, I, I hear him from behind me yelling, I take Venmo. <laughs> like, in other words, nice try, old man. <laughs> But like seven-year-old kids prefer instantaneous electronic transfers of money these days, right? Like who, who uses cash? <laughs> and this is the brave new world that we live in. We can buy almost anything we want from anywhere in the world and it will arrive within like a couple of days, unless it has to go through Long Beach, apparently. <laughs> we can watch almost any movie, any television show that we want to watch and we can just start watching immediately. Like right now, we could pull out our phones and start watching something if this is boring. Everything that exists sort of in this mysterious digital cloud is allowing our world to move faster and faster and faster. Like we just don't need to wait anymore, right? There are so many opportunities in this world because of this. So many ways for, for people to become wealthy or, or to increase their wealth and their opportunities, and yet the speed and this increased opportunity for unlimited wealth also comes with the need or, or the desire for, for cheaper labor, cheaper resources. And so, so even though we have so much, there are still so many who have very little. In fact, in this world of opportunity, it is conservatively estimated that there are 40 million people who are currently enslaved around the world so that they can produce around $150 billion annually for our global economy. Like this is, this is our world, like 40 million, like more than 400 years of the transatlantic slave trade today. Incredible wealth, incredible injustice. And so we find ourselves in a world and in a place that is, is not really that different from the world of Ecclesiastes here in the Bible, like well over 2,000 years ago. 
Dr. Chun Leung Sao uh, suggests that Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes, is written at a very unique time in history where the standard use of currency, so using coins, was rapidly changing the world. Just like digital currency has increased the speed of our economies today and the way that we work in our world today, no longer did you have to drag a camel to the market in order to trade or barter with the blacksmith for weapons or for tools. Like, if you think about it, that takes a long time, right, to do that. Like, it's a lot easier to just sort of have some coins in your pocket than it is to sort of drag a camel somewhere. So the use of coins was like supercharging the economy, and it was also making international trade like way easier and way more lucrative. So more and more people were becoming really wealthy, which again increased the demand for cheaper labor and cheaper resources, and so opportunities for injustice and oppression increased as well. Just like that, everything could be gained, and just like that, everything could be lost. One minute you're a, a cryptocurrency millionaire, the next minute you've lost everything, right? So Ecclesiastes says over and over again, everything is like smoke. We thought we had it, and then we lost it. It's, gone, it's here today, and it's gone tomorrow. So um, as we continue through the book of Ecclesiastes, let's listen as this mysterious character or author, Koheleth, speaks into that world, but also into our, our modern world in significant ways. So uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And my guess is that you've heard this before. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot or pull up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Pete Seeger, at the end of his famous song, using these lyrics, actually drops a time for war and ends with a time for peace. I swear it's not too late. Sort of like a question mark. Like, is it too late for peace? To everything, turn, turn, turn. Everything there is a season. Can you feel the uncertainty? Sort of the constant changing of this poem. Like, just everything is changing. Nothing is solid. Like, there's just seasons that come and seasons that go. Can you feel the volatility in, in that? Like, just that opportunity for peace, that dangers for war. You know, of course, Pete Seeger, like, reading this thing that was written, like, you know, 2,500 years ago, could feel the, these words were made a whole lot of sense in a country that was at war in Vietnam and that was significantly divided at home. I mean, it's amazing, like, how much these words can resonate with us. Can you feel the uncertainty, the lack of stability, the volatility, like, just in our own world? Anyone? 
I, I, I sure can. I don't have any chickens to trade for your lemonade. It's okay. I take the currency of the empire. I can even give you credit if you don't have currency. But, but that credit comes with interest and with the kind of penalties that could ruin you and could enslave your family. So, Ecclesiastes continues in verse 9, knowing all of this, what gain have workers from their toil? And what a great question. What gain have workers from their toil? I mean, we see this question being asked at a pretty significant level these days in this moment sort of called the great resignation, right? What gain have workers from their toil? So many people in our country are seeing how they are the ones creating massive amounts of wealth for, for other people, while paid little in comparison with, with, with little health insurance, if any, with, with limited time off. I mean, during COVID, especially at the beginning when there was just no vaccine and no medicines to sort of help people, essential workers were be, being paid like minimum wage at times to literally put their lives at risk. Like to go to work and to maybe die as a result of that, but given what, like seven bucks an hour, 15 bucks an hour, depending on where you are? Like what gain do workers have from their toil? That's like a real question. And so as Ecclesiastes is sort of asking that, Reverend Dr. Lisa Wolf highlights that Koheleth, or the, this character in Ecclesiastes, you can see sort of in this conversation their own struggle like their own sort of existential crisis with asking these questions or the sense of spiritual doubt as they weigh the things that they know or the things that they've been taught intellectually and the things that they see in the world with their eyes and, and, and through their experience. In other words, in my mind, I know what the Bible tells me. I know what the rabbis or the pastors have told me or taught me, but what I see with my eyes and what I experience just just feels different. Like they, they just don't always line up. So in verse 12 through 15, you get this sense of, I know, like I've been taught that there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy life. Cool. Yeah. Like I know that that sounds good. I know that we're supposed to make the best of our toil and that all of this is a gift from God. Like I know that, like the pastor stood up in church and told me that. I know that what God does endures forever so that we might stand in awe of God, so that we might be thankful. I know that. But, verse 16, I saw that under the sun, in place of justice, there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, wickedness was there as well. You see, in a world where there is injustice and inequality, not only does life begin to feel really unstable, like, I mean, that could be me, but our faith, our faith starts to feel really unstable. At least for me, it, my faith begins to feel unstable because there's a disconnect between what I believe and what I see. There's a disconnect between the sense of God's love at work in the world for all people and, and, and a world that is so divided. I mean, can you feel the uncertainty? Can you feel the volatility that's at work here within the book of Ecclesiastes? In, a, in the kids' wing of a church that I worked at a, a while ago, there was a drawing of a child being held in these giant hands. 
which, you know, it's church, right? So presumably those are the hands of God. And we get the idea, don't we, that our kids are, are being held by God, that our kids are being cared for by God. But one day, one of our little kids who spent all, a lot of time in that particular part of the church asked me, why did God shrink that kid? <laughs> right? Like, good question. So I said it was because he wasn't eating his vegetables. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I, I, I promise. That would have been mean. What a great question, though, right? Like, what I see in that picture at church is different from what I see in reality. Like, I know I'm smaller than adults, but I'm not that small. So, like, what happened to that poor kid? I mean, how else are we supposed to grow? How else are we supposed to learn about metaphors and about symbols and what things mean in this world if we don't ask questions about the things that don't seem to make sense, especially the things that don't seem to make sense at church as we sort of wrestle with, well, I see this here, but I don't know. I don't see that here. How else are we supposed to um, have a faith that is able to evolve in ways that actually make room for justice and equality, that push us or move us toward justice and equality for, for more people and not just for ourselves? How else is our faith supposed to be responsive to all of the changing seasons of life as the world turns and turns and, and turns upside down? Like, how are we supposed to have a faith that's responsive and resilient? Ecclesiastes seems to be giving us sort of a shocking permission that we don't often get in, in the answers that, that pastors and, and teachers give. Just be honest. Like, it's okay to be honest, to open our eyes and to keep our eyes open so that we can see more clearly and more honestly, to see what's happening around us, to, to see people, to see the people that are all around us. And and to see ourselves, like to really see ourselves for who we are and not just who we're told we were supposed to be. I would say that this is the purpose of faith. Not to get us to behave necessarily in certain ways as like the primary like end result, but to help us to go deeper, to push past sort of the surface level of things, to, to move beyond the simple sort of overly simple religious answers to something that is real, to something that is deep, to something that is really meaningful. So we hear, I mean, just be happy and enjoy life. I mean, sounds good. I'd love that. But I mean, just do it. Like, just try harder. Like, be happy and enjoy life just sounds sort of shallow at times. When we look out at our world, it, it sounds out of touch from the struggles that a lot of people deal with, a lot of us deal with. But what if our faith invited us to go past that, to, to move beyond those, those simple answers towards something deeper in our souls, towards something deeper in our relationships with one another, towards something deeper in the way that we, we sort of move in the world and behave in the world? Like, what if our faith pushed us beyond the easy answers to, to something more complex? What if we moved toward that complexity and, and, and the, the, the complications of, of what it means to be human, like just to be human, 
with all of our different experiences, with all of our different perspectives. Now, I, 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 honestly, I don't know what would happen. Like, I'm supposed to get to the end of the sermon, and I'm supposed to, like, conclude it pretty, <laughs> like, sort of, and now here's the answer, and now it all makes sense. But that's sort of counterintuitive to the, to the message I think we get in Ecclesiastes. I don't know what would happen if we did that, like, if we moved toward the complexity. But maybe, maybe somewhere along the line, we would discover what it really means to enjoy life. Like, not just at a superficial level, but, but what it really means to, to enjoy. Oh, oh, that's what it means. Like, I, I, I didn't get that. Perhaps we will discover what it means to, to actually see life as a gift from God. Oh, oh, that's what it means. Well, that's, that's different. Perhaps in the end, we'll, we'll, we'll end up standing in awe of God. Not because we know that that's what we're supposed to do. Not because, like, standing in awe of God is the right answer, but because, because we see and experience something together. Not, not just individually, but we see and we experience something together that really moves us. Something that really changes us. Something that really makes a difference. Like, really makes a difference. There is something deeper on the other side than everything that we see at a superficial level. And it seems like faith is always inviting us to push past what appears to be obvious. There's a lot of things that we experience in life as obvious. Oh, I know who that person is, like immediately. I see what hat they're wearing. Like, I know what, <laughs> I know what they're all about. And our faith invites us to push past the obvious to something more complex and deeper. Oh, I, I know what that experience will be like, but our faith is pushing us past what is obvious and into the unknown of, of perhaps a lot of things that we haven't ever tried before. So perhaps we'll discover the enjoyment of life. Perhaps we'll discover what it means for life to be a gift Perhaps we'll stand in awe of God. But it will come, presumably, from Ecclesiastes through being honest, seeing more clearly and more honesty and, and moving past the simple answers that pastors like me like to give. So please join me in prayer. Gracious God, we pray that you would guide us deeper. We pray that you would care for us through the many turns and the many seasons of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.